Elliot Goldstein is hosting a radio and podcast show out of New Mexico called NMDJ Presents Fly on the Wall. We are building a fresh, fabulous podcast library of musicians, writers, artists, and all good people of note, with many new and exciting guests to come. We are listener-funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. We appreciate your help. We would like to thank Alan Gower for the intro music. Enjoyed the show. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall podcast. I'd like to tell you how I got started. Um, I really had no idea on um, the beginnings of what had even where to start. And I stumbled upon Anchor by Spotify. And it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. And I'll explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And um, when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast automatically on listening platforms. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple Podcasts. I'm on other uh, platforms. And it, Anchor made it so simple. And um, it's all in one place. Everything you need to make a podcast, you can find in one place. And um, the amazing part is it's all free. So um, there is no uh, downside to any of this. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R. And again, it's the Anchor app or go anchor.fm. And it's real easy to get started. And um, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall and uh, back to the show. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. At ADP, we understand the importance of building the right team and offer the data insights to help. Just as importantly, our AI technology helps you pay the team accurately. Grow stronger with ADP. HR, talent, time, and payroll. Welcome to Not Your Mother's Radio. Tonight, Elliot will be joined by Zappu alumni, Mike Keneally. Also on hand to lend assistance is another Zappu alumni, Edman. Mike, a well-established musician in his own right, is probably most well-known as former Frank Zappa stunt guitarist and a Zappa 1988 tour band member on both guitar and keyboards. His ascendancy to that position is legendary in certain musician circles, based on Keneally's command of Zappa's vast and difficult-to-play repertoire. Keneally had called Zappa and said that he was extremely familiar with all of his material and that he would be ready to play any of it for him given a short amount of preparation time, as he had already been listening to Zappa's music for 16 years. On the phone the day before the audition Frank had told Mike to have what's new in Baltimore, and sinister footwear ready for the next day's audition. On the way to the audition Keneally practiced the aforementioned songs as well as Little House I Used to Live In, and every single Zappa melody he could think of, kind of as an exercise for his memory as his brother Marty was driving the car. 
Keneally's stint in the Zappa touring band was short-lived with the early cancellation of the 1988 tour and Zappa's death in 1993. Keneally moved on from the elder Zappa's band to work with the eldest Zappa son, Dweezil, on his solo albums and work released as the band Z. Keneally has also released 11 albums of solo material since 1992 and has guested or acted as sideman on a wide variety of projects most notably as part of Steve Vai's touring bands. Remember that this radio show is listener-funded. If you wish to contribute our PayPal info is notyourmothersradio at gmail.com. That's notyourmothersradio at gmail.com. We would like to thank you in advance for any contributions. Ed, uh, almost, I guess, a year ago now. Well, no, not about, yeah, almost a year. And uh, we've begun... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we've been locked wow. up for almost a year, Ed. Uh, this last year. Yeah. I know, it's man. It, it defies perception as, chron- as chronological time, you know? Yeah, it does. And so, so I met Ed. Simultaneously the shortest and longest year ever. Yeah, yeah. Actually, so we met, and um, Ed turned me on to a lot of the Zapper alumni guys, and I knew... Um, you know, one or two guys, but it kind of led me to the old mothers. I, I, I'm pretty f- uh, friendly with Bunk now, and Dom and Ian, Ian Underwood. So, um, you know, I kind of cut my teeth on for the last year. I kind of learned a lot about Frank and the, and the guys who worked with him. And I'm really, re- we were supposed to talk months ago, but you had to, uh, re- you had some recordings to do, you big show off. First time for Mike? Yeah. First time for Mike on this show. First time for Mike. This is the first. Yeah, this yeah. is the first time. Oh, yeah. I didn't. I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike was going. Mike was going to do a show a few months ago, but um, he was. He was recording at the time. He couldn't. He he had a couple of deadlines. I think in December, right, Mike? Well, I'm, I I perpetually have deadlines, and I'm on one right now. But I, I, yeah. if I, I I just realized that I I can't I can't let them rule my life. <laughs> there you go. The whole the whole timeline. Yeah, and um. Yeah, so anyway, welcome to the show, and, um, you know, uh, uh, I, I'm going to be honest with you, out of all of the Zapper guys, as the years went on and it got closer to the end of the Zapper band, um, information on you guys are harder and harder to find. It seems that... Oh, well, we're, you know, we are uh, enigmas. You are. You definitely are enigmas, and um, you're, you're involved, I know, in the uh, Travis... Uh, uh, um, club, you know, so to speak. You're doing all the hologram tours. Um, you, you're uh, getting ready for the King Crimson tour, if that ever happens too, right? If, if it ever happens, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 there's no way to know. No, no I know, but you're, you're, you're in that band, so you're going to, you know, you're, you're kind of yeah. le- you're leading that whole, you know, that whole new uh, resurgence of people getting into Frank Zapper, and um, that's just great. It really is that this man's music is probably more viable now than it was when I was a fan, which is staggering. Oh, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I think it actually is in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think you know, the longer something hangs out, somehow a lot of the other baggage attached to it just falls by the wayside, and it becomes easier for people to just assess the quality of the music and yeah. also the you know just like the storyline of the life and the career. And uh, and you know it, it just becomes more clear that, that this is a one of a kind uh, phenomenon. This this person. Yeah. Okay. And it, it <laughs> and it definitely works. I mean, it's incredible how 
of Frank's music, um, it just kind of took on a life of its own. It, you know, it was always there, but it kind of its, has its own legs now. And, um, you know, I spoke to guys like Scott Tunis and everything like that. And, you know, these, the, you, the later guys, Zapper people, um, were the guys who really knew their music. They knew, um, they were more technically involved. They were more technically adequate. And they made his music. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, even, even if you get back to the earliest mothers, you got uh, Ian Underwood there. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, no, yeah, but, but I mean, yeah. But I, I'm just saying, you, you, you guys. Oh, you have an echo. That I don't think it's mine. There is an echo going on. Really? Hold on. Uh, I think it's gone now. Okay, good. I might have had a. Yeah, a, a, you yeah, yeah, one of my pants is up. Okay, yeah, but not that they weren't technically uh, sufficient, but. Um, the later guys, the uh, the Ed Mans, the uh, the Tunises, the Keneallys, you guys were um... well. It really, it really started, I think, with like Artie Tripp. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He was like an amazing world class musician, not just drummer but percussionist. And uh, but even, even of course, you know, yeah. was always there. Yeah. And, and then later, uh, you know, you think about the freaking Roxy era. I mean, that's beyond belief really the, the band with yeah the right first, you know yeah, <laughs> you see, you kind of Ainsley Artie Tripp Ian was probably what am I talking about Don Preston yeah Donald was great yeah I know actually it's you know so Ainsley's a fascinating case, man. Ainsley blows me away. I, I love Ainsley's drumming with Frank. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember having a conversation with him about his playing on uh, on stuff like the Grand Wazoo, you know, because uh, th that first piece on there uh, for Calvin and his first two hitchhikers, it's it's, right. it's quite an unbelievable piece. And, and I'm you know, Ainsley didn't read down those charts, and the parts are ridiculous. And I, re I remember asking him, how did I mean? Obviously, this had to be just insane, constant drilling and constant rehearsal. He didn't remember ever ever having played the song. <laughs> he didn't yeah, remember yeah. the uh, the recording session. Yeah, I, but I, when I, you listen to it, it's a it's a miraculous drum performance. It's yes, just incredible. Uh, you know, he's, I, I met Ainsley when he was in Journey, and I saw Ainsley play with the uh, um, Flo and Eddie phase band. You know that you know all that stuff. And, uh, sure. He, he was, yeah, yeah. He was. He was always was an incredible drummer, and um, you know, I, I I knew of Ainsley when he was with you know the old British bands, the Ainsley Dunbar Retaliation, and all that stuff. I was, yeah. I was always, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was always a big fan of Ainsley's, and you know, he kind of reminded me of like that cozy Powell type of a drummer who could just do about anything. Cozy Powell is an amazing drummer. Yes. Yeah. Cozy yeah. Powell. Absolutely. Yeah. Cozy. Cozy. Um, well, when Frank hired Vinny. When all those auditions were going on, there was a lot of, that's the most people I've ever seen audition uh, over a period of a couple of days. And Vinny was kind of like last out of maybe 30 people. Really? And uh, so Frank pulled me aside for a minute and said, I don't know, you know, what, what do you think? And, I, you know, there's a couple good players that you and I were talking about, you know, and uh, Frank said, I think it's Ainsley, I think it's Vinny, because he reminds me of Ainsley, his group. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, I understand that um, that Flo and Eddie band was, um, I mean, I saw them play, but I understand they, they, they had a deep, you know, Frank had a deep part in his heart for that band. 
he really loved those guys. And um, I always considered Frank Zappa's career to be pre Flo and Eddie and post Flo and Eddie. You know? Yeah, probably, well, it kind of was because yeah. he was in a wheelchair for a year in between. Yeah. Uh, right. So, but and then when he emerged, it was a whole different thing. Yeah, it was. That's what yeah. I mean. When After that, it, it kind of got, you know, to Sofa, you know, the. Uh, um, um, you know, it, it, it kind of got into more of a jazzy fusion type of a feel to his bands, and that's what he needed you oh, guys the jazz for. So good, man! The jazz—he was into such a good jazz thing. I'm—I'm I'm convinced one of the reasons he stopped is that it was so good. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, like Wazoo. Yeah. And all that. I know I mean, it is ridiculous. Mo- modern jazz and those recordings. So, you know, there's a. What's the other one? Uh, Waka Jawaka. Uh, yeah, yeah Waka Um That stuff is so good. And even yeah, even really if you is. evaluate it strictly from a jazz point of view. But that that's you know, just really good. But th- that started with Hot Rats, right? That whole feel. But then well, in, a, in a but then after it's Hot Rats, yeah, yeah. But after Hot got Rats, Sal Marquez, you know. Yeah, well, I know Sal. Sal became a good friend of mine. Um, the whole thing the with textures the, are different. Yeah, Hot Rats kind of got back to Chunga, which brought us Flo and Eddie again, right? Well, Hot Rats is a thing unto itself because that was the first album with where where he was recording on more tracks, and that album was really about Frank and Ian. Yeah, you know that yeah. Ian def- defined the flavor of that of this of this the feel of that music. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and right. it's like many it's dozens of Ians, many many overdubs. You know, and, and that's right. One of the things that's cool about that that I've always liked is that you know for, those horns could have been more in tune for like you know peaches and that kind of stuff. Right. Right. But, uh, you know, it's not like it's not like winds was Ian's first instrument, um, but I clearly Frank he liked it. He liked it to be uh, it's a little bit like you know yeah. um, you could have had Ernie Watts on every track. But I think he actually preferred it to, to have the imperfections. Uh, and it was well, Ian. I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't say this is a put down with Ian. Uh, I couldn't do that. You know, it was great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, um, it's, a, it's a flavor. It's a, it's a color, you know. Well, it's, it is. It's, um, it's, it's just, yeah. Stax Records, um, on the old uh, Atlantic Records, reggae albums. That horn is always off just a touch for the tension. It gives you a little tension in the music. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, like, it's like NPR. Let's record our theme. What should it be? Oh, let's hire a klezmer band. Yeah. You know, it's so out of tune. That boom, right. Boom, 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 boom. But <laughs> that's flavor, you know? Yeah, it's the te- <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it adds tension. You know, it adds a little... Um, yeah, it, it is. It's flavor. It adds tension. It's it horrible. Is, yeah, it, it is. But it works, right? But it works. It uh, works. Yeah, it absolutely. Yeah, so then after that, he went to the flowing 80s... You know, part of his uh, career, and then when he came out of that, that's when he got serious. That's when the uh, that's you know when the shit went down, so to speak, and there was no more playing. You know, there really wasn't too much more fun. It all became intense music, and um, oh, I, I, would, I would argue that there was fun through the whole process, man. And well, I was I wasn't there. Nothing but nothing but fun from start to finish. I'm honestly. telling you, from a from a listener's <laughs> standpoint, you had to become. Uh-huh. Um, deeply, deeply involved in Frank's music to really enjoy it from, I'd say, Roxy on. You know, it wasn't, 
It wasn't something you could put on the turntable and just kick back and listen to. You had to sit down and rip it apart and study it. Well, I mean, it's it's everyone receives music differently. I would say that that the groove on some of that stuff on on overnight and and uh, and Roxy and mm. and uh, one size fits all. The groove is if 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 you let go of the of the cerebral and the analytical and just go with the texture and the feel of the music. And then you know Frank and Napoleon and George Duke on stage, uh, just you know going back and forth. Yeah, there was a lot of fun between time. Frank and Napoleon. Napoleon really did bring that, you know. Yeah. yeah. But what to me, where the magic is in that stuff is the is the combination. You've got yeah, you've got all that stringent, serious stuff, but at the same time, you've got this real lightness, this real sense of, of you know humor. Obviously, uh-huh. there's some, but I mean that band, that Roxy era band, I think is just a cosmically perfect band for Frank. All those people really? in that band, and and the timbre of that stuff. If you listen to that that Roxy concerts, the Roxy performances box that came out a few yeah, years yeah, ago, yeah, which I have is a copy of it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just like strap on a pair of headphones and just live with that. It, it's that to me. That's Zappa music. <laughs> that yeah. is really, you know, the, I mean, the sound of. Yeah, I, I think apost- apostrophe was a brilliant album. You do have some light, uh, uh, you know, light moments on that one. You know, a lot of it is fun. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, it's a yeah. great album. And and the, and then you get into the bands, you know, the bands that Ed was in. I mean, that first band, essentially yeah. the uh, the Baby Snakes band, which was the first uh, Zappa band I ever saw. Uh-huh. And uh, and y- you've got <laughs> yeah you've got you know stringent instrumentals. The very first time I ever heard the Black Page was was at that concert. Really, and in fact uh, the the oh, in San Diego? yeah that's San Diego State Amphitheater. That was like the first and, show. That was the second show. Yeah, tour. I mean it was very early on in, in, <laughs> your, in your guys' history. Um, I, I saw that gig. And there's, you know, the the, the passage in, in Black Page that goes that is an indelible memory for me. Specifically, Ed playing that line, which happens twice in the song. Uh-huh. The dynamics come down a little bit. I remember there was a lighting change, and it seemed like it was just all about Ed playing that melody, and it happened twice. Really and and for some for some reason, that memory was is an indelible concert going memory, and I haven't even I hadn't even heard the song before then yeah. um but oh, then really? they would play but then they played punky's whips which is like the most ridiculous hysterical song also completely insane musically and and you know we'd, we'd never heard this music before it was mind-blowing right. uh That's which true. which was always a, a, a is a serious uh, goal of frank's he wanted people's minds blown when they came to these shows you know before i forget there's two, two things i want to bring up talking about great drummers that played with frank i saw um Jim Gordon played with Frank, and um, that was at the Felt Forum, I guess, the Grand Wazoo tour. And um, we're talking about, you remember, well, obviously you remember it, that Steve Spanking, that, yeah, yeah. that tune. I went to see an attorney in, um, in, in, in Albuquerque, and that afternoon, while I was seeing her office, Ike Willis called me. This was maybe three, four years ago. I was talking to Ike about some stuff. And I said, excuse me, I've got to take this call. And I told her, you know, and, and after I got back, I said, you know, there was, you know, she said, um, I hope it was important. You know, she had a stick up her butt. I said, yeah, that was uh, uh, Ike Willis from uh, Frank's, one of Frank Zappa's bands. And she said, uh, Steve Spanking, that girl in that song, is my niece. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. 
Is that funny? Oh, right. no Laurel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's pretty funny. You know, you know how those things happen. That is funny. Yeah. So. Um, oh my God. Yeah, she had a stick of it. Kind of like Mike and Steve coming from the same town. It's, you know, you know, I mean, just, just stuff like that just kind of makes you wonder. Uh, yeah. The only two people I've been married to came come from the exact tiny place in Minnesota. And they don't know each other, and they never did. Uh, but the odds are what <laughs> you know. I know. Yeah. How does that happen? Wait a second. Wait that's, a second. That's really interesting. Okay, um, um, Mike, you'll know this. You know, you'd be more in tune with this than um, it is. Do you know a little town in um, um, Queens called Laurelton? It's right off the I've, I've, it's, I've, yeah. It's right off the Bell Parkway, Springfield Springfield Gardens. Uh, Laurelton, Rosedale. You remember Green Acres? The big shopping center? You, you might have been too young. Anyway. I was too young. I never yeah, met them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was born in Brooklyn. I was raised in Queens. Then I moved out to Long Island. And in Queens, I lived in a town called uh, Laurelton. Anyway, I meet a girl later on, and um, we, you know, we, we go out, we get married, the whole bit. Anyway, she grew up in Laurelton. Never <laughs> knew her. She was in the same high school as me, the same junior high school as me. Never knew her in Queens. Oh. But we hooked up later, you know, and uh, bang. Yeah, so it is weird how these things work out, isn't it? It really well, is, you know. In fact, in fact her, her best friends were in my class. I knew her best friends. I never knew her. So, you know, it's kind That's of... That's bizarre, man. Yeah, so now we're married for a long time, and I still don't know her. <laughs> you didn't even know her. <laughs> um, I see what you did there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, anyway. So, anyway, I, today I listened to your album. I listened to... Um, let me tell you exactly what I had on my turntables today. Um, I listened to the album with hats. Uh, yeah, oh, you meant the one that's called Hat? Yeah, Hat, yeah. That's okay. the album I listened to today, and I really um, enjoyed it. Mike, how did you know it was that one? Yeah, 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 maybe it was, maybe it was the hint, Hat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know what I heard? I heard you know what I heard in that? Um, a lot of your music is is kind of like the stuff that you're known for when you played in the Zappa bands, when you do the uh, um, uh, Vice stuff, when you do all that, you know, all that neat stuff. Oh, that was my first. That was yeah. my first solo album. That's yes. from '92, and yeah. I, so I was just just out of the of the Zappa, uh, you know, thing. Well, well, look, look. And definitely still a, a, a huge, huge influence. You know, inevitably he's always going to be an influence. Uh, but at that time, it was especially. Yeah, Raw. but but let me tell you what happened. I put it on. My wife said to me, "Is that Joe Jackson?" There's some, there's some stuff in there that has really, really, you know, kind of laid back vocals, and then you go into yeah. a Zappa thing and you come back out of it. I thought that was a really, really interesting album. It didn't have a lot of the Thank uh, you. yeah, it didn't have a lot of the tech, you know, the pyro stuff in it. it didn't have a lot of the um, acrobatic stuff in it. It was just a really, really nice album. It had a little bit of everything. I think it's a great, great introductory album to your catalog and um i appreciate that thank yeah, you yeah yeah i i, I, I want it was kind of designed to be that I, since it was the first album of what i was expecting to be a long you know a, a, a big catalog i kind of wanted it to be that sort of introductory thing so i'm, I'm glad it hit you that way yeah it really did and um you know my wife is um you know she's just sitting in the room with me listening and and it, we listen to stuff um uh, like I'll tell, I'll pick one out for you. It was pretty much, uh, you know, Eno and the actor was pretty, you know, 
you know, <laughs> a lot of the stuff was, yeah. pretty, was pretty neat. You know, it was it was, a, it was a really really pretty album. And then you got into a little of uh, the Zappa type feel to it. You know, a lot of the voicing and things like that. But um, then I got into the piano. I was still I was still, uh, I was still recording on analog tape then, so I could yeah. do sped up voices. It's yeah, like you yeah, can, yeah, yeah. Sped sped up voices don't sound the same. Yeah, and, and then the piano reductions was pretty cool too. I, that was a great great album too. And uh, that, oh, the Steve Vai piano yeah, reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the whole thing in that one is, it's a whole different instrument. You, you know, you put away the guitar and you you went to a piano, and just incredible stuff. I mean, there's a lot of talent in your uh, old bones, you know. And um, oh man, thank you, babe. thank you, Ali. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, um, I listened to Sluggo for a bit. You know, I kind of did a quick, quick uh, a rundown of some of your stuff while I was listening today, and. Um, personally, my favorite stuff is the stuff that's not as um, uh, it, it doesn't have that not that it doesn't have the vibe feel that that kind of type of feel to it. But when you get down and really get down to that instrument and you and an instrument, you do some really really beautiful work. Not that the other stuff isn't, but that's the stuff I really got into. And um, just the, the more playing, the more playing oriented. Yeah, stuff. the real nice playing stuff, the acoustic stuff, the piano stuff, the actual. Um, you know, maybe because I'm an older guy, and <laughs> I can't take that fast music. No, I'm just fooling. I'm not. Oh, I am. I'm pretty old too. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you no, probably, you know, grew yeah. up liking a lot of the same music. Yeah, yeah, but you know, what I'm saying it was that kind of a thing. That's the stuff. I, I really, you, just the stuff that comes out of you. You could just, pre- you pretty much could pull anything off, and that's incredible. No, oh, I, I appreciate it. You know, it's just uh, I love music a lot. You know, and I love all kinds of different music, and uh, and it, it all makes its way in there. And yeah. I try to make each record good, so I, I appreciate that, man. Cool, and you know, doing a great job. Now I know you're going to hate this Thanks, question, man. but uh, Frank, <laughs> Frank Zapper, how did you get involved? I've read, I've read the story. Yeah, I've read the stories. I heard about your brother driving you to the rehearsals, and um, right. I think some of our listeners. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They're, they're, it's definitely the stories are out there, um, but you know, essentially, I just I called him up. I, I called his office and asked for a job. It was, it was, and he had always said that his band was the only, you know, world-renowned, world-class band mm-hmm. that that it weren't wasn't really reliant upon uh, who you know. You know, it, it's like I mean, obviously, it's good when you can get an introduction if you have a friend of a friend who knows somebody. Right. But you know, really, Frank was always just about finding people who could play the stuff. If, if there was anybody out there that was that could play the stuff he was writing. He wanted to know about it, and really didn't have anything to do with what sort of a, a career they had built up. Right. So, I was just lucky that the time that I called and offered my services was at a time where he was looking for for people that could do what I did, and you know, I I just had the good fortune to call at a time and say, I pl- hey, my my name's Mike. I play guitar and keyboard, and I sing. And and I'm you know I'm a huge fan of Frank's. I have a lot of his stuff committed to memory. I'm familiar with all his work, and I don't know if he's looking for anybody, but if he is, I'm here. And and he was just in need at the time of a guitarist and a keyboardist and and another voice. So it was just kind of weird and fortuitous that that happened to be the week that I called, offering to do all three of those things. You know, so it, yeah. it's it's kind of like what what Ed was saying. That it's like a, a little bit strange <laughs> how things go down sometimes, but it, it really was. But you know, Mike, you uh, 
that when you came in was when Ray had decided he wasn't going to do it. Frank was holding on for a decision. And uh, it took Ray a while, but when he finally said, no, I'm not going to do it. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. I mean, you called at just the right time. I know. If you called a week earlier, he would have thought, nah, Ray's going to do this. Uh, and, and honestly, so, you know, my first, you know, I don't remember exactly how long, but like the first week and a half I was there, it was it was under the, the understanding that if Ray returned, I was out of there. So it, it, it was... <laughs> Isn't that great? You know, that happened yeah. to me my first year. Oh, Ruth, <laughs> she wants to be back in the band, but... Um, I just don't know what I'm going to do here. But, uh, hey, go have a good rehearsal. Okay, Frank. So that's a, you know, that's a weird, that's a weird, uh, you know, vibe to be uh, trying right. to, to it is. practice it's music under. You can't feel committed, you know. It's like, ooh, yeah. it's so tentative, you know. Well, exactly. Yeah, that, 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 that helps you get to a rehearsal with a clear conscience and, and no pressure. Um, well, there's so, already so much fear running when Frank is in the room. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. So. so, so, Mike, did you, uh, did you ever, you must have um, run into Ray a few times, right? Uh, I, I really didn't. I, the, the first time I met Ray was when he was doing a tour with Zappa Plays Zappa in like okay. 2006 or something. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I, I went to the show and talked to him for maybe 20 seconds backstage. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then the, the, the really the, the first time, the only time that I, uh, that I really got to know Ray was when, like, the day we walked into rehearsals with Ed. Uh, to start the uh, the bizarre world of Frank Zappa thing, wow. uh, and it's oh, uh, really? you know I, I didn't know that. That was that was it. I mean, really, that yeah. was when Ray and I first first connected. Was well, the, Ray, you know, the first day of rehearsals for that. Ray's a great guy. Ray's a lot of fun. Yeah, he is. Ray's amazing. Beautiful musician, obviously yeah. unbelievable vocalist, and a wonderful guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, he's, he's, he's such a thinker. His concepts. Just his posts. He makes these like one and a half or two sentence posts right. on Facebook, and it's like, whoa, man! Yeah, yeah. Which tab, which Moses tablet did you get that from? Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. He's very incisive. He doesn't waste yeah. time, and he says exactly the, the you know the truth every time. <laughs> no, I was always embarrassed. Really to, eloquent. I was always embarrassed to ask Ray this question, but it's printed all over. No, it's not a secret. Did he actually leave Frank's band due to? Um, uh, he he thought the band was a little too wild. That it didn't, I, I never heard that, that. That it didn't fit in with his uh, religious, you know, uh, background and stuff. 
No, that was Chester. That's Chester. No, I read that on Ray's actually, but it could. Well, maybe you know, it's Ray too. Yeah, it could. You know, could I mean, be Chester made a, a a statement, you know, and uh, and also uh, you know that he wouldn't do it anymore in any form because of his beliefs. Yeah, because when I spoke but to Ray, I, yeah. you know, speaking to Ray, he I sounded like a wild more. guy. He sounded like he liked to have a little fun. Ray? Yeah, Ray is, Ray is like, he's he makes the stage fun. Yeah. Exactly. Like Ray is it. fun. <laughs> yeah. well, okay. Ike is a great foil. Ike can sit there and improvise and do setups that are just perfect for Frank. Yeah. Man, when you think about the 88 uh, band, the, the 1988 band, the combination of, of Ike being Ike, you know, the, the fact that he that he felt, you know, seized and utilized that freedom to just do these vocal interjections and make Frank laugh and stuff, right. and then combine that with what Ed was doing with the sample sounds on the Silicon Mallets, the com- constant commentary, this constant, you know, negative land style yeah. uh, audio uh, tapestry being woven that, that Ed is, is, you know, spontaneously producing every night. You know, you, you, that, it was the mixture of that kind of thing, the the episodes of complete improvisation that would happen in the midst of this very structured show. I mean, that's why I think that 12-piece band was a really special band, because it, it, it had a completely interesting combination of prepared, disciplined stuff, completely spontaneous stuff, and, and an approach to the sonics and... and it was just it was new territory, you know. Yeah. That that was pretty pretty crazy stuff. Yep, yep. So I'm reading it in front of me now. According to Frank Zappa, White, who is deeply religious, was uncomfortable with the aesthetic views of some of the other band members, which led to his departure. So, so that's that's according to that's according to Frank. Yeah, according to Frank. Okay, so that's the Wait, Frank version of the truth. <laughs> um, what is the statement? It said, according to Frank Zappa, uh, Ray left the band due to the aesthetic um, beliefs of the other band members. You know, at the time, the aesthetic beliefs, aesthetics. Yep. Well, who knows? I, I know we can speak for Ray. I, I'm sure it's true. No, you have to I, ask him for the real what it really means. Yeah, yeah, that is correct. <laughs> that that because that sounds to me like somebody else's interpretation of Frank's interpretation of what Ray really was thinking. You know, okay, you, yeah, you, you really yeah, want to ask a, Ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, I spoke to Frank for hours, and he, I spoke to Ray for hours, and he just seems as crazy as all the rest of us. <laughs> you know, it was like yeah, Ray. Well, we contain multitudes, man. Yeah, in eighty one, eighty two, we were doing nigger business. Yeah, 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 and. <laughs> You know, for some reason, Frank's the only person who can get away with doing that. He could probably get away with doing it now. Yeah, he probably uh, could. But Ray, you know, who used to be a Black Panther, was, uh, he would be the first person to, like, know, you know. But he understood the context, and he didn't have a problem with it. Right, right. Okay. He, he sang lead, you know, on the tune. And uh, so, I think I would. I would. I mean, I would really love to have the conversation with Ray about how he really felt about singing that. But you know, it, it's it, it was unquestionably different times. Yeah, it was. And well, uh, I know. For, I, I've talked with him enough about it to know that it wasn't just like, well, this is what this is. This is the job. 
so I'll yeah. do it. No, I'm, I'm sure of that. I'm sure of that. It wasn't that, but, or but he the, wouldn't I, have done it. Yeah, that's unquestionably true. Yeah, um, yeah. I just there are just you know there are there are psychic layers to, to situations like that, and you know it's as with anything. Right. And and so, um, Mike, you're you're um, you're still dedicated to the whole Frank Zappa thing. That's your um, passion at this point. I know you're doing thousands of other side um, projects and everything else. I would. I would. Not not to not to disagree, but I'm not sure I agree with your thesis statement. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, well, just setting himself up there. Well, no, no, no. Yeah, no. You know, who else is going to ask this stupid question but me? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I know, well, that's why we're here. Man. Yeah, yeah, I know. I love I, I love I love Frank Zappa's music, but I, I can't I can't state with honesty that it's my primary passion just because I'm I'm so you know well, deeply involved with the stuff that I'm writing. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, you're doing tons of tons of stuff. You've worked with everybody. You've uh, you know you you have the metal bands. You have everything else going on, but there has to be a place in your heart where you kind of have this fondness for Frank. Oh my God! I mean, I, I, I adore Frank. You know, and, let me, and, and, uh, and, uh, and now this, <laughs> and now I feel like the matador. Here's where I come in for the kill. Um, <laughs> what I spoke to, I can, I can handle it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I spoke to tons and tons of um, Zapper alumni and mothers people and everything else. I've spoken to Ed about this and to Ike, uh, you know, and to um, you know Don Preston and Ian and everybody. Everybody seems to love Frank as a musician. But did you consider him to be a friend of yours or, or somebody who you could actually um, kind of relate to outside of the art world, the music world? Well, I mean, I was very young when I got in the band. I, I had hero worship stuff to get past yeah. and never never really did in his, in his during his lifetime. Um, uh, I loved him, uh, but I never... I don't... He at least openly didn't consider himself as conducting friendships. He said that that wasn't a real priority for him. So, uh, I felt... Well, like I'm sorry, what did, he, what, did he, Mike, what did he call it? He, he, fr- friendship as a concept wasn't like a major priority for him and, 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 he, and he claimed, you know, priority. sometimes he would, right. he would get into a specific mindset sometimes in an interview where he would just say, I don't have friends. Right. And you know, I know, man, I'll tell you what. Ow! That's fucking <laughs> Because, you know, I was interested to hear Elliot say, or just relate what Ian had told him, was just that, no, Frank wasn't ever your friend. Right. Uh, I was really surprised to hear that from Ian. Yeah, you were, you were online. Was, you see, Ed, you were online with me when I spoke to Ian, right? No, I wasn't. Oh, you heard it. Okay, I sent you the uh, clips. He, um, you told him, yeah, 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 yeah. Ian said that uh, Frank never had friends. He said Frank just wasn't right. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I mean, I, you know, from Ian. I, I mean. But he was a much younger man when he was in the band, and uh, and and very driven in a specific kind of way. And I imagine he might have been a little colder. And I and well, I think you know, by the time well, I got in the band, warmer, by the time I got in the band, he was he was yeah. he was a warmer individual. Well, you see, even well. Uh, I think it went the other way. I do too. You think he got colder? As you think he got colder? I think he did. Well, like in '77, when '77 when I joined, he, it, the the only I mean it wasn't just true of me. It's true of Tommy, Peter Wolf, Adrian, and Patrick and Terry that we thought of him as a friend, 
and we behaved and gave as though he was really a friend. But it wasn't uh, consistent. I mean, it wasn't equilateral. Mm -hmm. It was you had to... The only way to do Frank's music was to be his friend and accept those friendly moments from him where he would act like your friend. But I at least had to understand it didn't go both ways. With him, it was conditional. For for us, it was had to be unconditional. <laughs> you had to give it, give up yourself as an unconditional friend, regardless. That means after the, you know, suddenly he, he ignores you for two or three days, or he just turns on you, you know, in some weird ways, whatever. Something happens. But you, after that, you still love him. And mm -hmm. but but for Frank, the way he operated was. I'm your friend, and then he'd do like an interview where he says, I have no friends. And man, I, I can tell you for all of us, like in that 77, 78 band, 78, 79 band, that hurt. Everybody in the band would be just be like, oh, crestfallen. You know, he, he, what? He said that? You know, because it kind of rocked your world, you know. Uh, mm. And I didn't, I didn't figure out the, the, uh, uh, you know, the, Conditional, unconditional, mutual, you know, right. two different ways that that had to be adhered to until after, really, like after 88 and everything. That, um, yeah. I mean, nobody quit in 88, despite how miserable it was, because they loved Frank. Right. Even though he had, he had done a lot of stuff that wasn't kind, but in the end, right. you loved him. But he didn't, I mean, I speak only for myself now. Uh, he didn't necessarily love you all the time. He would turn it on and off depending upon what he needed. And yeah, mercurial. You see, the the old the old mothers the old mothers felt he was friends, and that's why I think they felt so bad when um, he broke the band up. That there was no notice. There was no um, no end, well, no, I don't end, know. That's, no end game, so to speak. Like like the Prestons and the Gardeners and and the uh, you know. Uh, not not Ian so much. Ian worked with Frank for you know a couple of years. That's why I was surprised to hear Ian say that. Like Frank didn't have friends, just straight out without even thinking about it. Uh, I was. I think Ian had a pretty good. I have a feeling Ian had a pretty good insight into Frank's psyche. Yeah, uh, I did Ian's too. Cool, oh, right? Yeah, sure. very perceptive Ian, person. I, I really, really cool. You know the way. So I would it. say that even when when Frank was was acting the most like a friend acts that that Ian would still uh, perceive that you know a, a distance is one word to use, but it's it's just you know the reality of well, the of the the, the dynamic. Of the depending on it, I, I, well, I agree with you. Hey, well, Mike, do you think that when Ruth got involved, uh, the dynamics changed a bit? Uh, well, Ruth is just just. Uh, Provides their own kind of magic, right? As as yeah. a musician, and oh, as a person, I, I, yes. I mean, as a person, you know, just the whole relationship between band members and things like that. I know. Um, well, I was never in the band at the same time as yeah, so yeah, I can't but, say yeah. all, all. I can I can only provide my perspective on it the same way you can provide yours. Sure. But it seems to me, yes, that, you know, anything that she was involved with, she definitely had some kind of catalyzing impact on. Yeah, I wonder if that had anything to do with the Ian uh, Frank type, you know, thing at the end. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, well, I, I know from hanging out with Ruth like twice 
once or twice a week for the three months before I joined the band. And I guess, anyway, at least from that, that um, she approached it like, like I did. We never spoke about this because I didn't figure it out until, you know, a lot later than that. But that she was always willing to forgive Frank and be his friend. But it was different for her because when it when it got to be too much, she could always quit, and she did. Yeah. <laughs> and Frank, Frank hated that. Like she didn't need the money. In other words, she, she could, didn't have to work, so she would quit, and then she'd join, and quit, and then join, and like you know, and that kind of thing. And 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 I would only speak to this if I, I mean, because I was present for the first recording sessions that John Bergamo and I did with Ruth at the record plant with Frank. And Frank was constantly razzing Ruth. Or he was just saying, ah, percussionist is great in the studio, but you know, never hire him in the band. Never take him on the road because you never know when they're going to quit. And at the time, I didn't really know what to make of any of that. I just took it at face value. Okay, don't, you know, don't hire a percussionist. Uh, I, I mean, it doesn't bother me. I'm not looking for a job. But, um, uh, he was pointing it at Ruth. And uh, so, anyway, the reason I say this is because Ruth had a, a certain freedom to retain. She couldn't be manipulated in that way because of uh, it's a job. And right. uh, I don't know how much that plays into her dynamic with Frank or not. There was obviously a lot of you know, attraction and sexual tension and stuff, and she really uh, assumed the Zappa identity. You can see that in photos, band photos. Um, but she, I, she always, in what she, from what she told me, she always, uh, she looked past the uh, difficult parts, always to just think of thinking of Frank as as a friend. She really thought of Frank as a friend. There's just there's so much power connected to the fact that she didn't have to be there. She didn't a- approach it as that kind of a job. So that's always going to put you in a place of, of of feeling confident in a way. Kind of empowered. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, she but she was in the band after Ian left, right? She was the, she was she was kind of like the last uh, Underwood standing. So no, they did. I think they did. They did a year and a half or so together. Yeah, but then she's yeah, and she stayed right, and then and he, yes, and he left. Well, she was yes. gone by seventy four, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, she uh, wasn't on any of the seventy five, uh, seventy six stuff. That's that is correct. Okay. And then she came back for the New York, New York shows in seventy six. Right, and then that was and that. a great photo with Ray. That's such a good. You know, uh, oh yeah, that's beautiful. And you know, look so happy. That yeah. photo, man, her and Ray, such a great shot. It really is. It's a great moment. Okay, so um, you actually did the hologram tour, right? Yeah, we both. Did. Yeah, both of you guys did, but yeah, Mike, you were there with um, Ed. And um, mm-hmm. what was your? Um, did you like that tour? Scott said he loved it. Scott Tuna said. It, he enjoyed working with Frank every night, and um, <laughs> he loved playing apostrophe with Frank every night. Um, was it as um, fulfilling for you guys as it was f- for Scott? It was 
it was uh, it was very surreal, and 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 it was very surreal. Yeah, <laughs> and it was it, it, at, it, at times it was incredibly powerful. Uh, that there's no doubt that I've never been a part of uh, of anything else that was anything like it. Uh, the, the, the Sometimes I wonder if we were affected by all of that EMF coming off those screens. So much EMF coming up. Do you do you, do you glow at night? <laughs> no, but I mean it's a huge amount of all the wrong kind of EMF. Yeah. And if if I had, had a meter then, I wasn't even thinking about that stuff then. But I wish I did have a meter then and measure it because I know it's, it, it was a lot. You know. A, 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 <laughs> Yeah. That kind of screen, whatever that kind of screen is called. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's very interesting because it definitely there was an electric feeling up on stage, and and it could have been generated from any number of uh, sources. Right, and and it could make you know usually that stuff kind of makes it hard for people to feel totally grounded and just settled in what they're doing. Right. Um, it was that kind of. I mean, it was it was it's the kind of show where you had to, uh, you know get acclimated to the idea that you are uh, kind of part of a machine yeah and if, and if, if once you find your, your your place of comfort within that machine it was for me anyway in my experience it was it was very easy to get carried away it was very easy to feel lifted up into like the arms of, of this you know this technological beast and and for me it oh, was, geez, it was man, you, you must have been really right in your, right in the way of the beam it got you <laughs> it got me big time, but for me, for me, it was for me, it was a tremendously enjoyable experience. You know, it 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 it, it felt very powerful uh, musically and emotionally. Yeah. So and, and and I and I and and I was gratified to look out in the audience and see a majority of of people in the audience being being moved by it. Um, you know, it obviously it it was a, a controversial tour and generated a lot of chatter, but 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 to me it, it kind of came down to two things. It, you know, it it really moved a lot of the people who experienced the thing, sure. and I think and I think that at its heart, it's something that I think Frank would have been very interested in. You know, the the idea of of this kind of a, of an entertainment. Uh, event this kind of a presentation using that technology. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I, I do too. That. Now, um, did you play with Ian Underwood at the uh, Potato? Yes, uh, Ed wasn't able to make those gigs, but, no, no, but Ian you, did. Yeah, you you played those. But yes, and and Ian came and and he played the Black Page. Yes, which, and, which and was beautiful. Uh, just, and, just, uh, just, and just just an FYI, that was one of the highlights. He said in his post Zappa career that he felt so honored to have been able to do that uh -huh. with you guys. Yep. Well, that's very sweet. That's like, I, I mean, it was wow. ridiculous uh, to, to, to meet him and, and to play with him. It, I mean, I can't overstate the importance of the stuff that he played on, on like uncle meat and we're only in it for the money. Both of those albums are, sure. are yep. Yep. total uh, life uh, building much less changing uh, albums for me, and, 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 uh, and, and, I, uh, and Burnt Weenie, and Burnt of course, yeah, yeah. The, the the solo the solo piano stuff that he does on that, and you know the absurd uh, 
you know, all the, the talk about just, you know, <laughs> intonation not being the point, the stuff like those, those sax ensembles on, on Holiday in Berlin. Right. Uh, it, that's yeah, just, right. A, that's unbelievable, the, the sound of that. And, you know, and just his, his alto sax solo on, on, you know, Ian Underwood whips it out on Uncle Meat. Sure. That's, you know, that's like very, that's vast, deep saxophone. Yeah, it really is. And, and yeah, he was a very humble, humble guy. Yeah, you know? I was going oh, to say that. that him, five, five decades later, six decades later, you talk to him, and he still sounds like the young kid on, um, you know, yeah, hi, I, I want to join yeah. your group. That, that same voice, <laughs> that, that same demeanor. Yeah. You know, like, hey, yeah. like, wow, I'm here, and how the heck did I get here? That kind of thing. And, um, yeah, that's right. That kind of a wonderment to it. All. Yeah. I, he told me. When I met him, it's when I was hanging out with Ruth. Uh-huh. I, you know, there was, it, we, we had done the recording sessions, and we just became friends, so we were hanging out a lot. And I, I, I got there one day, and he was in the living room with a synthesizer, you know, learning how to work it because sure. he was starting to get studio work. And it was coming through that. And uh, so Ruth said, oh, Ian, I'd like you to meet my friend Ed. And Ian, he just he kind of walks over and he goes, hi, I'm Ian. I know, like, I know. <laughs> <the letters. laughs> and, and I'm thinking like, oh, God, this is incredible. I can't match your level of, like, uh, you know, humble. Right. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm like shaking in my shoes. Yeah. He's going, oh, hi, uh, uh, I mean. D- d- okay, here's, here's, here's a Jeopardy question. Does anybody know the first soundtrack he played on? Uh, soundtrack? No, uh, it wasn't Apocalypse. Oh, uh, the, uh, uh, da, 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 da. Nah, you're not even um, close. It was the Mod Squad. Oh, nice. Oh. <laughs> That's... That's very. It, was James Horner involved with that too? No, no. Uh, Quincy Jones was part of that whole. Setup. Oh, there you go. Because uh, Quincy's I wife. Did he play? Yeah, Ian did the uh, synthesizer work on that. He played. What a trip! Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's um, right. Horner. Just, just about the here. last, the last meal that I had in public uh, <laughs> uh-huh. before I, I, I went on the the Devin Townsend tour last year that got called off in, in the middle of it because of COVID. Yeah. Um. So like early January, it was like right when we the, when we were doing the last uh, baked potato shows, the Zappa band, and Ian came and sat in with us, and uh, me and. Uh, and Joe Travers met Ian and his family and a bunch of friends of theirs at this farmers market in Los Angeles for for breakfast on Sunday morning. Oh, nice. And when I think and when I think of that now, just the idea of like sitting at a table with a bunch of people around and eating, it's like I, it's I, it's unthinkable. The door was made I, illegal. Yeah, I know. I know. You know, I, 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 I've been in the house now for God knows how many months. I actually went to the de- I went to the dentist. Ten. I went to the dentist today. And it was like going to, it, it was like escaping. So I know what I have to do next time. I want to get out of the house. I have to break my uh, bridge again <laughs> so I can get out of that damn yeah, house. There you go. <laughs> it was like, well. You get out, man. Just, yeah, sit, just sit, nice. thing. Yeah, sitting in the car was like, a, was, was, was like a, a surreal experience. I know. I've been home since March 13th. I've just yeah. been sitting here since March 13th. It's crazy. Yeah. So anyway, that that was that's just mind blowing. Thinking of the last time I just like not counting when when I was on the road for a couple of weeks, sure. but like one of the last times I just hung out eating with with some people uh, was was Ian, and I mean, and he's just so sweet, you know. He's and and funny and, yeah, and yeah. cool, and uh, and Ruth came to see us uh, uh, at the baked potato, and that that's the only time I've met Ruth. 
and uh, and it was uh, <laughs> it was wonderful because after the show, I was I was standing there with some other people, and she was talking, and, and you know, she was like regarding the fact that I was there, but didn't recognize me from from the fact that I had just played, wow. and uh, and and then and suddenly she just turns, and maybe it was something that somebody had said, and and she looked at me, and she and she like pointed at the stage, and, and she pointed at me, and then and then she took my face in her hands and, and it was just like you motherfucker you know it's, well, and it was it, it, it turned into a, a beautiful moment well, she was very sweet that's great <laughs> beautiful um well, it's I, a great I, thing when a jewish woman loves you i'm telling you up to a up, up to a point up to a point. I don't know. I don't okay. know. That's a great. That's a great title. Ed. Yeah, yeah. Up to a point. Um, yeah. I, ha- I had. A, I have a Jewish wife. I had a Jewish wife. So. Who did? I'm not just saying. Who's that, Ed? Or I get to yeah. yeah, yeah. I have one for four and a half decades. How do you get rid of them? There you go. How do you get rid of them? <laughs> <laughs> Stop it! I'm just, I'm just fooling. I'm just fooling. I'm just fooling. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Come on, Laura, yeah. you know. I know, Laura's my... Uh, I know, I, I can't do anything without that woman. What are you doing outside of uh, the Soul Zappa thing? I know you have your own life, your own music career. Um. Yeah, uh, I, I've been... You know, I got off the road last year. I was out on the road with, with Devin Townsend. Right. And uh, because I co-produced his last record, and I and I did his last couple of tours, and, 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 uh, and you know, and, of course, all touring stopped. So I, I went home and, and tried to figure out next steps. I, I, I looked at you know where things were standing and realized that I needed help. And, uh, Too much and, like and, Joe's garage. And uh, but so I ended up doing a, a GoFundMe, which allowed me to, to start a studio here in my home. Oh wow! Uh, and and so ever since uh, last uh, April or so, I've just been recording here nonstop, and and I've been working on my solo record when I can. But uh, I've also I'm I'm part of this group called MFTJ. It's me yes. and a producer named Scott Shore, and uh, and we just put out our second album, which is called My Mom's Getting a Horse, and that's some you know very unusual instrumental music. Uh, I'm doing a project uh, with this composer named Bear McCreary. He's uh, he's uh, you know written the soundtrack music for Battlestar Galactica and Walking Dead and a million other shows oh. and movies. Okay. And he's doing a project, and I'm I'm right now like nonstop working on that. I did a couple of Devin Townsend albums last month. Uh, I'm producing a, 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 this instrumental group called the Android Trio, who are really brilliant, just beautiful players. Uh, we're just, I'm signing off on their final mixes this week. Um, there's uh, another songwriter named Steve McAllister. He hired me and uh, Dave Gregory from XTC to uh, to play on some songs that that, that he's doing. So it's just oh. like a lot of projects. You you uh, you've also you've also um, did something with Andy Partridge, didn't you? Yeah, and Andy uh-huh. and I, uh, have, I, I Andy and Dave from XTC came to see the Zappa tour in 1988. They came uh-huh. to the Birmingham show, and uh, and and backstage afterwards, Scott Tunis and I, you know, ended up just like connecting with, with Andy and Dave, and while they were working on the album Oranges and Lemons in LA, uh, later that you know that, that I guess it was late '88 into '89. Tunis and I would just go attend their recording sessions whenever we could, cool. and then you know, Andy and I ended up working uh, on an album of mine called Wingbeat Fantastic. It was a solo right. album of mine, but the, like two thirds of the songs uh, we wrote together. Yep. So that, that's uh, you know I love Andy's writing. Obviously, it's unbelievable. Yeah, he, was a, he was a huge 
he's a major influence on my writing. If you listen to that, yes. that Sluggo album, there's, you know, there's like deep influences. And, and actually, there's a quote from the NXTC song, uh, on that album hat that you listen to. There's a song called Day of the Cow right. that quotes, uh, M- Mayor of Simpleton, which sure. is an NXTC yep, piece. Yep, yep. So yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I was working with a band back in the uh, early 80s. Uh, Ed, Michael Shreve's band, um, Novo Combo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, when I I bought that first album, XTC's first album, and um, they had just named the band Drum, uh, Novo Combo. But he said, if I would have seen that title, Drums and Wires, that's a brilliant da- that's a brilliant name for any band. It is, and and it was like a beautiful description of the way that that band sounded because yep. it was just like all really edgy, yep. clean, you know, yep. Telecaster type sounds. And and although it wasn't Telecasters, but just that kind of bite, and then all the the drums were just like very upfront and tribal. Well, that was you know that was uh, Hugh Padgham engineering, Steve Lillywhite producing in, yep. in 1979, and you know two years later that that was all over the sounds of Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins. And yeah, that it really, that kind of that kind of drum approach started well, with the stuff they did with XTC. I love that tune, You Kill Me, from the uh, Wingbeat album. Great tune. Oh, man, that's, that's like all all uh, Andy's lyrics. Yeah. That, that, that is, that's like so Andy Partridge, those words. Yeah, that's a great, great album. And, um, you know, that, you. that's what I'm saying. I mean, you have so much, so many um, different fires going that you could pick just about any one and spend, you know, months in it. And you know, after a short break, the guys return with their take on this whole COVID mess. Uh, so, well, we you know, just the mention of the word COVID uh, is like fills me with dread. Um, it's like taking years. I know it's like taking a cold shower, right? Where, where, where do your testicles go, right? Every time you mention that word, it's like it ruins. I prefer a cold shower any day. You know, it's like yeah, it's a, you know, it's a terrifying year. Really, um, it's quite unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it is quite unbelievable. It really is. And um, my whole year has been—I'm I'm connected with my daughter. That's why I'm here in Denver. She's 26, so pretty much the sole focus, with a few exceptions, is, has just been doing what I can for her to help her get through this. Suddenly, with no concerts to go through or two and you're not allowed to gather publicly and it's all isolated I mean I can't imagine doing that when I was 26 I would I wouldn't know what to do with it yeah and uh, so that's been the sole focus of my attention but you know what it's hard for the young kids but they see their way out of it how about guys like us who kind of um, you know that's my therapist says yeah you know how about guys like us you know we um, we're not kids anymore and we and we just gave up a year of our life. Well, for me, like growing, we're about the same age, Elliot. Yeah, growing up in the sixties, this is like everything we ever dreaded. Right. Like, no, and it's so much like Joe's Garage. And you know, I I mean, I love Frank, but I understand Frank, and. uh he he knew a lot from his father. He knew who was, you know, secret chemical weapons development for the yeah, Air Force top yeah, yeah. level. And, uh, in fact, working in that Air Force base at the top of Laurel Canyon um, after uh, being out at Edwards. But he used to tell us a lot of stuff 
I don't think I told Mike this, so I'll do it here. It was like 1978 or something, and all of a sudden, Frank... Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot, buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot, buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Hey, come here. He says, uh, if anybody from the government ever comes to you and wants to put a long swab way up into the top of your sinus cavity, don't let them do it. (laughs) That's it. That's what, you know, it's like it it, it had no context. There was no reason for him to say that. Uh, He just said it all of a sudden. And I'm, he had he had that done to him when he was a little kid, uh, right? And he told he told me this very later, you know, when I asked about it. But and I had forgotten about it and wasn't even thinking about it until this first type of testing came about. Wow. And all of a sudden, I thought, "Oh my god!" I mean, Frank predicted so much stuff so yeah. accurately. Well, you know, no one could have predicted the arrival of the virus, man. You know, it, it's but but it's it's. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know, you got you got to. To me, it's all just been about. Yeah, I mean, this has been an unbelievable year. That that is true, but it happened, and I'm so many parallels. You know, is the thing. So I don't know. I just think it's interesting. You know. Yeah. It is. It's fascinating. It's, it's ridiculous. But I, I, I'm choosing. You know, I'm I'm the hippie at heart. I'm choosing to just look at this as as a forced reboot. Well, and 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 I just just as you know, like so much about the last four years was was r- ridiculous. But at at, at the same time, you can say that it's yeah. the, the kind of wake up call that that was required. Right. Um, I've I, heard a lot of people I, say that too. Yeah. Well, do you, yeah, th- I, I, do, you, I, do you think this was nature's way of kind of uh, taking back some of uh, her uh, magic, so to speak? I, I I don't know if nature had had a specific agenda in mind. I I, I wouldn't uh, anthropomorphize it to that extent. Well, um, <laughs> I, just, you know, I just honestly think it's something that happened. I'm in I'm in New um, Mexico, and you can't believe the coyotes and the rabbits and 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 the other animals running around. They were kind of scarce there for a while, and it just seems that the air out there is cleaner. Everything seems to be. Um, I mean, now well, we, certainly I there, there, there are cycles yeah. to things, and and there is balance to things. And, and you know, the other thing that Frank used to say was, "The universe works whether you understand it or not." Sure. And uh, and and I yeah, and I do, and, and I I do honestly think 
that in in some way there's reasons for things to go down the way they did but i i'm not going to stand behind that I'm definitely not going to swear to it in court <laughs> right. but but ultimately what is true is that here we are it's today it's now the things that have happened have happened and and i and i do think that as far as the thing about oh yeah we're all stuck at home for a year and yeah we have to wear masks when we go out and all that i just choose to look at that as as kindness and and if COVID is a real thing, which it is, and if we don't perfectly understand it, which we don't, I I think it it makes a lot of sense to stay home until you're you know I'm personally yeah I'm gonna get the I'll get the fuck vaccinated out of me you know what I mean I'm right. I'm definitely getting vaccinated I, I I and there's never gonna be normal life again you know once everything goes back to you know, quote normal it's not gonna be normal everything's been changed yeah, it'll never be. do you uh, uh, do you, do you guys are familiar with 1984, right? Sure, sure. Okay, do you think we're in the middle of it, or, you know, definitely uh, influenced well, I, by I, it? You know, no, yeah, I think that uh, the, what 1984 about is gullibility. Uh, and I, I think that, yeah, I mean, what we have just seen is that there are many people who are willing to believe absolute bullshit because it, it bolsters their belief systems and because they're desperate to hang on to a way of thinking that their father passed on to them. Uh, and and, and I, I honestly think that, you know, like since the election, I, I, I see signs of like people snapping out of hypnosis here and there, you know, like, 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 like people who believe so strongly in something and, and now can see that a lot of it was a sham. And well, that's uh, a I, yeah, I, I do honestly feel like it, we did need something like the, the, the kick in the ass, which has been and continues to be what's going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. But, and, and, and I, I really honestly am just like, kind of giddy when I imagine how things are going to be post all of this because it, it, to, to just be like microcosmic about it imagine the first gig back you know when we're actually able to start doing gigs again and you know, for real with people in the room and stuff like that I know it's going to uh, seem like you know otherworldly yeah uh, it really will and I also think that there's going to be a, a feeling of such shared uh you know, good fortune. Like we're none of us are going to be able to believe it, and it's going to be a very powerful thing for the performers and the audience alike and, to share. I think I think that people in general will will be never have been more appreciative of community mm-hmm. when it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and that's you know, good. Well, that's good. That, that is absolutely it, good. It, it, they're either going to appreciate it or they're not going to know how to deal with it. Um, my, I have two of my grandkids. Both things are interesting. Yeah, yeah. Two, two of my grandkids live with me: an eleven-year-old and an eight-year-old. Now, my eight-year-old is in second grade. These kids aren't going to know how to socialize. These kids have no idea what it's like playing with kids anymore. The eleven-year-old is right. It was a year. Yeah, at a very young age, and it's, that, a, and, a, and it's an important year. Right. The eleven-year-old is yeah. is is um. Can't wait to get back to school. He's he wants to, the, the the second grader is afraid. He doesn't want to leave the house. Mm. You know he That's has to. Oh wow! I never thought about that. Before. Yeah, I mean he heard too much about Trump. He heard too much about COVID. He heard too much about people dying. Matt, you know he has to wear a mask every time he goes outside. He has to, you know. Right, right, right. I mean, this isn't normal for a seven, eight-year-old, you know. And yeah, how, no. fear, fear can be a really warping. Thing yeah, and how about the kids younger than him? The kids that never were in a school yet. 
the kids who were supposed to start kindergarten, who were supposed to start like first grade, these kids have no idea what the real world, you know, is like. It's going to be it's going to be a shock to the system. Absolutely, that's Jim really here. that's really true, man. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. You remember how long a year seemed when we, when we were five, six, seven years old? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, it was a real long time. You know, Chris, Christmas to thanks uh, uh, Thanksgiving to Christmas seemed like a, a year. You know, like right. You know, right, yeah. You know, those the summer seemed like five years. Yeah, was, no, that's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah, and these poor kids have no idea what it's like to be around other kids. I mean, I have kids living next door to me too, and uh, you know, every now and then you'll see a head pop up over the fence, but you know, over the gate, uh-huh. and that's it. That's uh-huh. all they have, and it's scary uh-huh. as crap. You know, it really is. And I'm glad you mentioned that, man, because that's something important to think about. Yeah. And and the whole I thing and, and the whole and the whole thing with 1984 is, if you remember 1984, everybody was drinking cheap, um, uh, a state you know, a, a vodka. You remember they all had that cheap vodka. Right. Now uh-huh. they kind of open up the dispensaries for everybody. You know, stay home, stay stoned, stay whatever, and uh, you know. Yeah. Here they close the dispensaries for six hours. Yeah. And the whole city was fucking nuts. Right. And now, no, no, we're not. We're not closing the dispensary. Is it? Well, we take that one back. And yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was. It's just funny, but um, yeah, yeah, you know, you I, know, I'm all for uh, legalizing marijuana. But think about that too. They're doping us. They're doping up the kids now. They're just kind of um, numbing everybody to sit home and and shut up. First it was video games. Well, there, there, you know, there is a part of that. I think if you look at the whole thing. There's a lot of things that are true. It's not mutually exclusive for any one of them. And if you, like, I, I just Ron Emanuel quote comes to mind for yeah. me, okay. which is never let a good crisis go to waste. Right. So, <laughs> you, you know, where, whereas this thing is, you know, I too believe it's a genuine contagious illness. I don't know how it happened, but it just is. And, uh, but then there's, I think there are factions that are kind of like, oh, good. This is the, we need that. And they've been talking about this for a long time. We need that Pearl Harbor moment. So, you know, I see it, it's just, it's, it's not as simple as one solid answer. There's a bunch of things running. <laughs> but. It's a, yeah, that's it, true. The, the dynamics of it all are just crazy. Keep in mind, like, 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 you know, what. You know the end goal, so you don't get caught up in emotional trauma that stops your forward movement. Um, and of course, that is more difficult for a, a two, you know, a, a five-year-old. Obviously, that's a, that, that's a tall order. All, you know, it, it really that's is. very sad. But but, I mean, but you know, eventually, really eventually they will emerge. <laughs> eventually, we will we'll all emerge from this, and that's going to be a powerful thing for those kids too. So, you know, life is a life gonna be, made you're going to so be different, different kind of kids. Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. Then there would have been if this didn't happen. And, and it's like a child of World War II is different. You know, absolutely. Yeah, right. You know, uh, and uh, I have, I have a really good friend in Israel, and she's like. She's just deep. I mean, she, she knows a lot. She sees a lot. And she called me and said, don't worry. Your daughter is, she can handle this. It's her generation that's going to make things different. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, okay, you're seeing her like you, but <laughs> she has more. Well, well, let me interrupt yeah. a second. I, I interviewed um, 
uh, an author uh, a week or two ago. He wrote the last John Lennon book. Um, his name is uh, Kevin Womack. He wrote um, John Lennon, whatever the final days, whatever the hell it was. And he's a professor in a college, and he told me the same thing, Ed. He said that the kids today don't take shit from anybody, that they're out there fighting, they're um, not going to let the abortion laws get changed, they're not going to let the uh, racist thing come back, they're not going to let this whole, um, uh, you know, the whole LGBTQ thing uh, take a back right. seat again. He said these kids are so involved, and he said, you know, they're not... They really are. Yeah, he said they're not happy going home at night and making a hamburger for dinner. They'll make themselves a three, four-course dinner because they were raised on the food network, you know, that kind of thing. That they don't drink Budweiser anymore. They only drink the finest beers they can get their hands on, that kind of thing. He said they are so... That's interesting. Yeah, it is. He said cable TV and everything else that these kids were raised on kind of sunk in, and they're not the same generation, not the same type of people that, that we were as kids and the generations that we grew up in because they have so much more knowledge at their fingertips and they're using it. Sure. You know, it kind of made me feel... Well, that's the positive side. One thing that's been really difficult for my daughter, who's 26, is that, you know, she had a big... I guess she still has a big group community of friends here in Denver. Right. Um, But most of them, during this whole thing, have refused, like, to hang out. They're too scared. Mm -hmm. And she's not like that, really. She's like, yeah... It's important to, you know, do the stuff, wear the mask, you know, sanitize, all this stuff. And um, But the isolation part has been really hard on her. Um, like, just seeing nobody, you know, for this yeah, yeah. sure. time. So it, it's disturbed me a little bit that her, her peer group is so uh, scared, like terrified, yeah. that uh, they're they're being so strict with themselves. You know, maybe it's right, maybe it's not right, I don't know. But just, it is. It's a thing. And uh, it's difficult, you know, for that, well, for them on that level. Well, I Absolutely. Would... I mean, it's especially if, I mean, I, I, I know how fortunate I am. I'm here with my wife. We we really have a good time together. It's it's being in lockdown with her is is really up, about as good a situation as I can envision. I hate the fact that I don't see my kid. I haven't I haven't seen my kid in forever because they, they live across town. And uh, and, you know, I'm there's. The aspects about this that absolutely suck, but but in general, I'm very happy at home. So I'm I'm in an unusually fortunate position in terms of being able to cope with lockdown, and I do realize that you are. Man. But I, you know, I think having anybody else in your house. Well, my daughter was here for the first few months, and it was so much better than when she found her own place. Then it's been really difficult being like all alone. Yes. It's, but it's not like it hasn't been useful, you know. I've, uh, uh-huh. You have to, you know, dig deep and find stuff and and kind of yeah. settle the things that you are subconsciously not settled with. But um, so it's not like it's not useful, but it's being it's challenging as fuck. Yeah, in a really big way. So you're blessed to have your have your wife there with you, you know, and um, absolutely. That's really good. 
Mm-hmm. I, I'm just hoping, you know, it's like I was encouraged when I saw dates showing up as like published, publicized dates. So-and-so would be appearing and it's late summer that a promoter has the confidence right. to book it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's... it's yeah, you, you have to, right? You have to you have to start to believe that these things can happen. Yeah, but for a promoter, you know, look how much stuff was booked and all of a sudden had to be canceled. Yeah. I, know, I know. Imagine the the total the totality of it in numbers, your dollars, uh, you know, billions. I know my whole summer, last summer was I had a big summer schedule, but it was all canceled then uh, I know you did too, Mike and um mm-hmm. So just for the industry to have the confidence to say, I trust that this date's going to happen and it's scheduled for like late August, um, is huge. It is, but uh, but you're but you're also kind of like backed against the wall. If 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 the gig is going to happen, you have to you have to treat it as though it's going to happen. Uh, otherwise, every, everybody's going to be completely uh, unprepared when suddenly it turns out, yes, everybody's vaccinated, we can start doing shows again. Uh, stuff but it's also presuming to, that the government is not going to, without, you know, on, on very fast news, lay down another lockdown. Yeah, that part they have to yeah. presume. A promotion. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the know. thing. I mean, that, because the, the rules are, are being written, rewritten daily. Um, you, but you know, I and yeah, it is like surprising that a uh, that a that a promoter would would put this, put themselves at such risk. But uh, these are unprecedented times, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Every day is like a decision. Every day is a decision. Okay, are we gonna are we gonna move forward as though things will be fine or not? And and part of the just like the a way of coping from day to day is to assume that things eventually are going to be fine. Okay, let me sure. let me pull us out of this doldrum. Uh, Mike, I read that you're a big Beatle fan. Truth. Okay, Ed, big Beatle fan. Huge. Okay, best Beatle album. Um, for oh. me, uh, Rubber Soul, a uh, U.S. version. Okay. Ed. Yeah, I don't have a favorite because. Okay. They, ch- they change so quickly. Well, you know. mine mine happens to be Revolver. I love Revolver. I think Revolver is a brilliant album, only because that's I, a beautiful era. Yeah, I think I think that was kind of gave the Beatles permission to go in any direction they wanted to. You know, uh, Rubber, wait, what, what, what year was that? Uh, right after Rubber 66. Soul. Yeah, sixty six. Rubber Soul is a beautiful album too. Rubber Soul. Rubber yeah, Soul, I, 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 it's like. Precisely what you said that that they gave themselves the freedom. Yeah, uh, rubber soul, rubber soul is really where you can, in retrospect, feel that coming through there. Right, but it was in a more in a more understated way, Safe. and also it was, especially it was, it was safer. It, well, I mean, to me, it's just beautiful music. It is, it uh, is. and uh, and it's also primarily acoustic, uh, the U.S. version especially. Yes, so that's really like the a Beatles folk album. Uh-huh. And uh, and I just think that as a collection of, of songs and and as just like a sonic thing, it's just heavenly. I, I really love that. Record. Yeah, you see, Revolver, I thought, kind of opened up the floodgates. Not only did it give them yes, permission, so much more experimental. Yeah, yeah not only yeah. did it give them permission to do what they wanted to do, but it gave uh, all the bands that kind of followed them. Um, Tomorrow Never Knows, uh, she said, uh, just incredible music on that album as well. Great experimental stuff that you've never heard before. Now let's go back. Oh, to they were just. You go. 
they were just blazing trails uh, <laughs> yeah. ridiculously. It, it, it was insane the amount of ground they covered and how quickly they did. Yeah. I mean, fucking three years uh, from uh, like like the, the the first two Beatles albums, and then it's uh, three years later is, is Revolver, and then a year later is Sgt. Pepper. You yeah. know that that it's three and a half years from I want to hold your hand to yeah. Sgt. Pepper. Incredible. That just doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. <laughs> it's crazy. And how about solo work? Um, well, I mean, that's for me the, the the John Lennon Plastic Ono Band album with uh, with with Mother and God yeah, on it. Yeah, a, lot is, of, uh, a lot of people give me that one. How about you, Ed? I'm well, I I have to back up from that because uh, I've read this book, The Memoirs of Billy Shears, right? And I went into it thinking, like, yeah, right, yeah, okay, I'll read it, you know. But I don't know this. Some interesting stuff, like uh, from, I think it's Sgt. Pepper's, is where it started. Is Sgt. Pepper's the first album where there's vaudevillian stylistic things? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's safe to say, yeah. Yeah. I, I think so, too. Well, I, um, I, I think the greatest solo Beatle album was All Things Must Pass. Well, that's I was going to say that one too. I didn't know you were going to come. Harrison, to, to right? Harrison is the emerging star, man. Harrison is the guy. Post yeah. I mean, the, the most surprising thing for me is how weak McCartney's solo work was. You know, right? Well, I, uh, I love Ram. Uh, when, I, I love Ram. It, it just, it, Ram is a, an amazing record. Uh, I guess I haven't but, listened to that one very much. That's that's, that's, that's the peak. That's really yeah. kind of the peak. Uh, McCartney, but yeah. but yeah, it's it's funny when you think about the the feel, the texture of uh, of all things must pass. That's the closest thing to the magic that the Beatles brought. Right. And then, and at, the, at at that point, you think, wow, timbrely and texturally, what George brought to the party, Beatle wise, right. really provided. But he, a he, he wasn't allowed to do when he was in the Beatles. Well, that's the whole thing. This guy was sitting on music probably for four or five years that he wasn't allowed to uh, you know put on a Beatle album. And then he just yeah, he, came, yeah. he came out of the gates like whoa, like a bull. And um, what I love like that was that he, amazing music. You know, yeah, I think to me he brought that hair. music. To me he brought that music on every guitar track that he provided to right. a Lennon McCartney song. You know, yep, yep. it's like I think that I think that that music and that magic is just there when, yeah, when yeah. George Harrison yeah. put his finger uh, yeah, on the guitar. He, he pretty much this, he pretty much invented the new um, lead guitar. Uh, flavor of any uh, from that point forward, you know, nobody could touch him. And um, well, he's become a great slide player, you know. Yes, yeah, that's he, ne he never played any slide on the Beatle albums, and then he comes out with this slide persona. Yeah, let it be, let it be yeah, let, yeah, let it be. I think he had a slide or two, right? Um, um, actually, I think the only slide guitar on Let It Be is John on uh, on For You Blue because that's John playing that. What was that tune that Harrison uh -huh. said? Uh, Elmore James got nothing on this guitar. Yeah, but that was John right? playing. Oh, slide oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember George was playing bass on that black um, uh, Strat, right? 
Uh, John was too. John played. Yeah. Uh, there's like a, a six string, uh, you know, like, like a, a baritone guitar or something. Yeah, or, yeah, uh, yeah. Just where it's tuned a to six, something. An electric six string bass. He played. Ba- John played bass on Long Winding Road. Uh-huh. You can hear him just like sliding around the neck trying to land on the right note, but wow, it sounds yeah. great. Be cool. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, I spoke to Bobby Whitlock uh, a few months ago from. Um, oh shit. Yeah, Derek and the Dominoes, and he was all over. Um, all things must pass. And yeah, it's beautiful. That's right. Yeah, and if you go back and start thinking about the bands that came from that album, Derek and the Dominoes came from Derek the Dominoes. Uh, the Stones got their horn section from that band, um, and all of that derived yeah. from Delaney and Bonnie, right? You know, yeah, that, Delaney that, and that Bonnie. Also. Yeah, that whole Leon Russell crew. You know that. Um, yeah, yeah. So that, that Delaney and Bonnie's group that was you know assembled completely away from mainstream rock and roll end up ended up like seeding all these other huge bands it's very yep. interesting yep 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 and okay, Joe, Mike, Joe Cocker, Joe Cocker. Story? yeah here's sure. a funny story Bonnie and Bonnie story that um it was like 1977 or 78 I, I was at this party in the valley and of course everybody's drinking and doing blow and doing you know and all that and Delaney and Bonnie are there so they're jamming, Delaney, you know, is in the back room and everything, and there's another acoustic guitar, so I just picked it up and started playing. And Delaney says, oh, man, where have you been? Can I hire you to be in my band? Crazy. I, I know, like, five chords. Yeah. I, I, don't, I can't play guitar. Right. You played them right, though. You played them right. Well, Whatever it was, man, it's just well, like if I, I keep I reflect back on that. Like Delaney wanted me to be guitarist in this band. Well, that was so well, fucking yeah. <laughs> anyway, Bobby told me this that. story. He said that you know, well, um, Isaac Hayes and Porter, David Porter, you know, were, were uh, writing. You know, they, they were writing partners. And anyway, uh, Porter's in the bathroom one day, and uh, Isaac Hayes comes to the door and bangs on the bathroom door, and he yells, "Come on, we got to get out of here." And a porter yells out the bathroom door, "Hold on, I'm coming!" And it became a hit. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, you know, Whitlock. Ah, is yeah, that true? Is that yeah, a true story? That's a true story. I, I think. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I think I read that in, the, in like an old Rolling Stone interview. Yeah, uh, well, but, but it was. It was. It was like uh, it might have been Sam or Dave that told oh the story. God. I can't remember. Yeah, well, Whit, Whit, <laughs> Whit, you know, Bobby was the first white um, artist to be signed to Stax Records. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he used to hang out there. He that was his home away from home. He used to live in that place. And uh, yeah, yeah, great story. Um, Oh man, that's too good. I've played that song so many times. I know. When I was eleven and twelve and stuff, and those bands. Hold on, hold on. I'm coming. It's never, it's never occurred to me, but of course, of course, yeah, it's got to happen. Yeah. So. Okay, so who are we listening to these days? Any, uh, you, uh, Mike, you told me about some of your new guys. I would love to talk to them, uh, maybe do some uh, interviews with them as they're recording with you. That would be cool. Um, oh, oh it's, it's, so yeah, what, am, what am I listening to, are you saying? Yeah, outside, like, what, outside of the like, stuff like, you're working on. Uh, Neil Young, like almost exclusively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been kind of obsessed with Neil Young lately. Uh-huh. Um uh, actually, a combination of Neil Young and Gentle Giant. So that's really you know, that's, that's a pretty, you know, a little eclectic. But that's that's like when I have to get in the car to to do a grocery pickup, which right. is pretty much the only place I go. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what I listen so to. Which, music which Neil I, Young albums? 
Uh, well, uh, right now that he put out this archive set, yeah, which is, uh, contains a, a huge amount of unreleased stuff from '72 to '76. So it's uh, it's I mean it's the stuff that he was doing around the time of Time Fades Away and uh, On the Beach and uh, Tonight's the Night and Zuma. So that era. Uh-huh. Uh, but so all that music, which I already love, but then a ton of additional music that he was writing and recording around the same time, uh, all of similar quality, all very intense, uh, emotionally and melodically very strong, and sonically very very present and strong. Some of it are, are solo demos of, of songs that he wrote that just uh, uh, there's a song called Barefoot Floors. It's not even on the box, but is on his website, the Neil Young Archives website, which is just like endless, endless, really? incredible music available to stream. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but then there's a, a, a piece called Goodbye Christians on the Shore, which was written and recorded around the time of uh, the, the Journey Through the Past film that he directed. Uh, just a beautiful song, like mind-blowingly good song, uh, the equal of anything that was on Harvest or, or, or after the Gold Rush. And it's just like sitting in a tape box in his vault. Uh, it, it really, I just love the feel of his music, man. I, I, I could just strap on headphones and, I and have my mind blown. As all a composer, time. and you know, like uh, after the Gold Rush and Harvest, you know, that, I, I I stopped listening after that. I was into different stuff, but um. Yeah, he got into a very yeah, he, his response to the stardom uh, of Harvest because that, that Harvest was huge. Right. It thrust him into a new echelon, a new new spotlight, and and the music that he made in response to that was is referred to as uh, the ditch period because it, he, <laughs> he 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 wrote in the in the liner notes to a compilation album he did called Decade that he said uh, the Harvest album placed me right in the in the middle of the road. Uh, and uh, and so the music that I made after that uh, was was me driving in the ditch, a, a, a little bit rougher ride, but the scenery was more interesting. <laughs> well, wow, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, that's in- yeah, that's that, that's really interesting. I like yeah, Neil Young. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then the other thing I've been listening to is uh, is is the Tom York's most recent solo album, which is called Anima. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I I love I love Radiohead very much, and uh, and Tom York's done a lot of interesting solo music. But this is the the first album. You know, if you listen to it on headphones, it really takes you somewhere. The the sonically, it, it's 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 very remarkable, and the writing is really beautiful, and his performance is really beautiful. Cool. Um, wow. So that's what I'm up to. Uh, Ed, what are you listening to? Yeah. I haven't been listening to music at all. I've, I've been more, uh, you know, I never thought this situation would come to pass. And having participated creatively in Joe's Garage more than you'd probably expect, you know, in terms of even the concept, um, just brainstorming sessions with Frank. Um mm-hmm. I've just been kind of studying all that, the sociological thing yeah. that's been going on and uh, what happens to people in terms of being driven towards cult, cultum, you know, and uh, so it's been kind of, I've just been kind of away from music. Gotta, um, gotta get back. Are yeah. you are you are you able to like maintain equilibrium and stay happy while you're uh, involved in, in that kind of study? You mean like what physically? As a person, yeah. Just, just like, is like, can, can you stay? No, no, it hasn't. It, it, 
No, not really, although I am in good health. I just, you know, I, I was like a hardcore runner until I was 50, and I've always been, I think I set a good foundation where with that foundation, I'm still in good health. Um, yeah, it's just, I'm, I, I, I approach that from the point of view of your friend with a certain amount of concern. It's like, it is important to, like, be aware of, of cult mentality, but if you spend a lot of time digging into that, like, I would just suggest that you spend more a little bit of time listening to music every once in a while. <laughs> well, I, I really should, but it's, like, something I've always been fascinated in, and I, the thing is, I don't buy into it. I observe it. Like, what happens to people? I'm just right. kind of interested in so sociology and human nature. Of and, course. uh... You know, when, when it's always been, until this thing hit, it's always been like, you know, there's music to do, there's music to do, there's music to do, there's music to do. And this kind of like put a, you know, a stop to that. And uh, I've always wanted to kind of just study the, the nature of, of of all this, the human, human nature and, you know, sociological things. Um, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm sick of it. Uh, it's like, it's enough now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I hadn't if I hadn't broken my arm three months ago, uh, I would have been back just playing more right. sooner. Well, but I can't play for another week, so they say. Um, so how's, how's your How is your healing going? How's the healing process going? I got like six weeks left, and then I should be fine. It's it's All coming right. along fine. You guys, but it's you know, you guys want to know who I'm listening to? Anybody care who I'm listening to? Sure. <laughs> I'm listening to this guy named Jackie Levin. Does anybody know ever hear Jackie Levin? I don't think so. Okay, Jackie had a band called Doll by Doll, like a punk band years and years ago. He's from Ireland, and um, he was leaving the studio one night, and he got jumped, and he got he, somebody strangled him, and they cut his vocal cords. Jesus. And, yeah. Anyway, he went on uh, painkillers, and of course, from that, he became a junkie. And his wife and him got him on a holistic thing, and they weaned him off of uh, heroin, and he put out some brilliant solo albums. Um, again, his name's Jackie Levin. He passed away. Okay. He passed away a few years ago. But if you ever have a chance, check out some Jackie Levin stuff. He's incredible, does a lot of acoustic work. He's mostly an acoustic, wow. troubadour-type guy. And then I've been listening That's very to... very interesting. Yeah, incredible guy. Again, Jackie uh, Levin. Um, one of the albums that uh, Laswell just uh, produced is by a guy named Christo Radzewski. He happens to be an MD in New York. He's from Macedonia. He put out an album called Hubris, H-U-B-R-I-S, and it's pretty That's much about uh, yeah, death and uh, life kind of thing. And um, uh, it's, it's a brilliant album. And then I just kind of got into like the Osric Tentacles and... Um, a lot of uh, old gong, old gong material and things like that, and um, uh, that, that's that's good. That's a good vibe. Yeah, and Lee Scratch Perry. Been listening to a lot of Lee Perry stuff lately too, for some reason. Oh man, I love. Yeah, I love Which, that reminds me, I never heard that that Flo and Eddie album. I never heard Rocksteady, but I remember it. I'll send, and, and, I'll, I'll, I'll send you a copy of it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and thank I'll, you. I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, and I'll send you Ubris, and I'll send you some. Um, Sam, I'll send you some uh, uh, Jackie Levin stuff to turn you on to in the beginning. Oh, thank you, Elliot. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, you'll be happy Listen, to. I, I'm, 
it's it's occurred to me that I never had dinner, and I'm I'm just about to pass out. Oh, yeah, I, I, I do that to people. <laughs> <laughs> Usually women, but I do make people pass yeah. out. <laughs> you, you, okay, well listen, and, and, and usually it takes a and usually it takes a roofie. only wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg cheese and your choice of bacon or sausage did we mention the part where wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery wendy's breakfast biscuits hot and buttery so don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's Bacon or Sausage Egg and Cheese Biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Remember that this radio show is listener-funded. If you wish to contribute, our PayPal info is notyourmothersradio at gmail.com. That's notyourmothersradio at gmail.com. We would like to thank you in advance for any contributions. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Fly on the Wall. There are more great interviews to follow so please list us as one of your favorites and be sure to follow. We are listener funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. Please remember to share our info. Thanking you all.